Uh, last week, uh, we began a conversation which is meant to expand our understanding of one of the central ideas that has shaped this community from the beginning. And the central idea is one of our mantras. It's everyone an icon. Everyone an icon. It, it matters so much to us that we commissioned an artist to create a painting uh, for this big idea and to hang it on the wall. Everyone an icon. Every person uh, a carrier of the sacred image in the world. And we get this uh, from very early in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1. Let me just remind you where this comes from, where we read this. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is a big, important idea in the scriptures that every human being, not just the special ones, not just the men, not just the ones in power, not just the ones that are well positioned, but that every single person is a bearer of the sacred image in the world. Now, last week we opened this up with the idea that this at least means that your life is full of dignity, whether you know it or not. That to be human is to walk around with a certain kind of dignity or worth, right? Uh, a little while later in Genesis, by the way, in Genesis chapter 9, that's the first time in the scriptures that we see a prohibition against murder. The reason murder is prohibited in the text is because God has made human beings in God's image. So acts of violence toward one another aren't just acts of violence toward one another. They're acts of desecration against holy ones, against objects of sacred worth. So this big idea is really important. And last week, we looked at the ways that Jesus seems to be on a mission to call out the dignity of people especially when they don't see it in themselves or when the world around them or the systems that have been put on them aren't able to celebrate the dignity of those people. He just seems like he's always on the hunt for people whose dignity has been under threat and he's going to call it out and raise it up, right? So, so we can certainly say that to bear the image of God as a person is to live a life of unassailable worth, like you actually matter and that you've never looked into the eyes of a person who doesn't matter. There's, there's a good starting point there. But today we want to ask, is there any more that we can say about the meaning of this? Does it carry any other freight with it as it describes what it means for us to be human together? Uh, is, it, is there anything else that we can pull out of this? Well, today what I want to ask is, if, if the idea of bearing the image of God has something to do with the nature of God, then you could probably ask yourselves, well, what do we know of God, right? Now, that's a big topic. Uh, but today I want to limit ourselves and kind of think about this in, in the flow of the narrative. So the text that I just read to you from which we get this big idea about human beings bearing the image of God, that's 26 verses into the Bible. So it's pretty early on. So I thought as an exercise, what if you just asked yourself, if you, if you picked up the, the Bible for the first time in your life and you started on page one and you started reading and then you got to Genesis 126 where human beings bear the image of God and you asked yourself, what do we know of God so far? What, what do we know about God so far? I think that would be an interesting question to ask because we're here to bear that character or that image somehow in the world. So let's just do a little bit of observing in the text. We're going to do a, a fair amount of text work tonight. You guys up for it? Cool. All right. Uh, let's jump in. Let's just see what we find. This is like at the beginning of Genesis here. This is the, the behavior of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have darkness and waters, and you've heard me say before that in the ancient consciousness of these people, waters are something like the threatening chaos from which all the unpredictable evil comes. Okay, so we have darkness and the waters where the chaos comes from, but God is about to do something with this formless, empty, dark place with the waters because then he says, let there be light, and there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And then God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Well, like really briefly, I just want to observe that one of the things happening here is that God is moving chaos into order. There's all this sort of chaotic elements here. They're all sort of swimming, swirling about in this picture, right? And he starts sifting things out so that there's some order in the world, right? Just Hold on to that for a moment. Let's keep reading a little further in Genesis. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing fruits and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So not only is he separating chaos and making things into order, there's potential in the land, right? And he's saying, let the land do what it's here to do. Let it produce the things that it's here to produce. The potential, all that latent potential in soil and sun and rain, all that latent potential in seeds are being brought into reality, like bearing fruit, like actual life in the world, right? Well, we're not done. Keep reading here. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Teem is an interesting word, right? Like, I'm, I'm picturing, uh, I want to go to Potawatomi Zoo with my friends and their kids, and there's that pond with the fish that you can feed, and it's actually really gross because you throw the little pellets out, and there's like flopping bellies of fish all on top of each other, but it's this super energetic kind of life, right? Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So not only do we have, sorry, a little further, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. So not only do we have God taking chaos and turning it into order, and taking potential and turning it into reality, this whole thing is moving toward greater and greater flourishing, more and more life, and increasing diversity from one species to all sorts of species, filling the land and the sea and the sky. So if you're reading along and you get to Genesis 126 and it says to, to be human is to bear the sacred imprint in the world, to bear the image of God, you could ask, what do we know of God by the time humans are made to bear the image of God? And I might summarize it like this. If anything, we know this. Next slide. That God takes raw materials and makes something beautiful. And there's a lot more that could be said about God, but we could start with this, I think, that God takes raw materials and makes something beautiful. So if this story is saying that every human being is a bearer of the image of God, is a carrier of the sacred imprint, if every human life is here to do the kinds of things that God does in the world, you might say that we are here to take raw materials and make more and more beautiful things. That we're here to just carry this trajectory forward, more and more order out of the chaos, more and more of the latent potential and everything around us being brought to reality greater and greater flourishing and increasing diversity, that as life grows, it tends to grow in diversity. We get more and more of that, right? Now, if you don't believe that that's what this is saying about us, let me make my case a little bit further. So in Genesis, there's this refrain, God does some creating, and then God saw that it was 
Yeah, you guys have heard this. So there's a bunch of the, God saw that it was good, God saw that it was good, God saw that it was good. And then in Genesis 1.31, the modifier gets upticked a little bit. In Genesis 1.31, we read that God looked at all that he had created, and it was very good. So we get good, 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 and then very good. Well, what happens between all the good and the very good? What happens to give the thing an upgrade? What is it in the story that takes it from good to very good? We already looked at it. It's 26 and 27. It's the moment that God takes human beings and puts them into the story and says, you are here to do what I just did. To bear the image of God is to do the kinds of things that God does. And God takes good and makes it very good, and he asks us to do the very same thing. So if it's true that you are a bearer of sacred imprint in the world, then I think it's true that you are here to get your hands on the raw materials of this world and make something beautiful out of it. Like, you're actually here for that. Like, because you and I are here, the thing should get an upgrade, right? Good should go to very good. Wherever there is potential, it ought to be realized, right? Wherever there is chaos, it ought to be brought to order. You and I are here to do this creative work. And by creative, I don't necessarily mean artistic. You don't have to fancy yourself an artist in the, in the strict sense of the word to realize that you have opportunities to get your hands on, on the raw materials of the world and carry it toward greater and greater beauty, greater and greater life, greater and greater flourishing. I think this is like one of the fundamental things that this story is saying about what it means to be human. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about this vocation for us, like what it means to be human, to get our hands on the materials and make more of the world, it strikes me that, that often there's two other modes that I find myself in. It's not the creative mode. Often I find myself either consuming or destroying. Anybody else? Consuming or destroying seems to be the modes that we find ourselves in over and over and over again. And if you've forgotten, just check Twitter. <laughs> now, by the way, um, we all have to do some consuming. Like, you have to eat and drink. Like, you have to do some consuming. I'm not saying that's all bad. But, like, when the, when the primary posture or energy that we bring to the world is consumptive or destructive... We are just utterly missing out on what it means to be human and what this story has to say to us about what it means to be human. And far too many of us have been lulled into that sort of posture in the world that we think the best that we can do is consume. Or worse, that the, that the exercise of real power in the world is the, is the power that we exercise when we destroy things. So if you find yourself with your hands on any kind of raw materials, if you wake up tomorrow and you look around and you see any raw materials and you're wondering how it is that you could take seriously this big, sacred idea of being human. If you find any raw materials around you, you might simply ask yourself, how could my relationship to all this be less about consuming or destroying and more about giving it an upgrade? Right? This is easy to think about, like, for example, for parents. I mean, by the way, um, creating children is literally some raw materials coming together, right? <laughs> But there it is, a couple of cells come together, and in somehow, through the mystery of God and creation, somehow two cells come together and have within them the potential to become a human person with consciousness and organs and limbs and an imagination. Like from two cells, somehow, all of that potential right there in two cells that come together. And then you as a parent, it's not just that initial creative act, but all the other creative moments that you have, and I, I, I understand that parenting probably feels like a long string of schedules and meals and fights 
and competing team uh, practices and laundry and diapers and vomit on the floor, like all of the things. And yet, like you do realize, right, if you wake up tomorrow and you're a parent or an aunt or a godparent or a foster parent or whatever, if you have some impact on children, you're literally taking some raw materials and you have the chance to shape them toward greater life, greater flourishing, to help them become more of what they are, right? You go down the line, um, educators, teachers, administrators, that's an easy sort of path to think about. Uh, some people do this every day with the spreadsheets that they manipulate at their, at their workplace. Spreadsheets may not feel very sexy, may not feel very spiritual, and yet, like, let's recognize the building that you're sitting in, the electricity, like, like most of the things that are helping the rest of us flourish, there's probably somewhere in the process somebody who knew how to make the numbers work, somebody who knew how to make the details work, right? Uh, I did this thing with uh, Matt, our executive pastor. He and I were in New York City in midtown Manhattan earlier this summer. And I don't know why, but I have this strange meditation that comes to mind whenever I'm in a very dense city like Manhattan. So he and I are actually like on this, on this rooftop kind of taking in the view for a moment. And I'm looking around and I say to Matt, I'm like, Matt, you ever sit here and think, right now, this instant in Manhattan, how many toilets are being flushed? <laughs> I don't mean to be crude. How much flourishing is made possible because somebody knows how to plumb and somebody knows how to keep a sewage system working? I'm saying this whole creative thing about being human, it's not just for the, the really like sexy or spiritual feeling vocations. It's for every inch of the universe that you and I are creating that's making more life possible, more flourishing possible. The things that you are doing so that somebody else can do what they are here to do. We're all getting in our hands on raw materials every day and we could ask ourselves, how is this a chance to bring order out of chaos or to take some potential and bring it into reality or to lead to greater and greater flourishing or more and more diverse sort of mingling in the world all coming together. It's right in front of us every day and it's not just practical, it's divine. It's tied to the deepest nature of what it is to be human and, and at least in the way that this story understands that. Now, um, this raises a question though, which is what about the days when you wake up and you're like, look, I get that I have my hands on some part of this world but I'm tired and I have no energy for creating or I have no vision for what this could be. Like having a hard time imagining what I could do with these raw materials. What about all of the days where the creative task seems so beyond us and we just can't figure out what we would do to take it any further in the right direction? This too I suspect, although I'm not a parent, I suspect many parents have woken up and said, I don't know what to do with this today. Most of us have had days at work where we said, I don't know what to do with this today. We've had moments where we physically had our hands on some actual raw materials and we said, yeah, I have some stuff here, but I have no imagination or energy left for what it is that I could do with this. Well, uh, in just the last couple of minutes that I have before we bring the guys back up here, that, that's the question that I want to press into. And for that, I actually want to do a callback to the first sermon that was ever preached at South and City Church, One Night at the Brick three years ago. And so this might sound like a little bit of review for everyone who was there, uh, but that just means you're ahead of the game, okay? Um, in the creative story and in the way that scripture understands God's work in the world of taking raw materials and fashioning them into greater and greater life, there's actually a way of reading it that suggests that God leaned on something when God created. 
that God leaned on something for the vision and the energy to create. Now, there's all sorts of ways that that's theologically completely ridiculous, but just hang with me. In the poetry of this story, there's a sense in which God leaned on something for the vision and the energy of all the creating work that he did. And I want to show you where this begins to show up. Uh, this is a book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 8. Wisdom is speaking here in first person. And wisdom says, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and even when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing in his presence and rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. At a minimum, wisdom is something like God's hype man as he creates. Do you feel that? Like God's creating and wisdom is there like celebrating it with God. Or perhaps even that wisdom is something like the pattern that God is paying attention to when God does God's creating. In fact, there's uh, some Jewish sources that take this idea and run with it and suggest that every time that God said that it was good in Genesis 1, that he did so by, by doing some fashioning, some creating, some chaos into order, some potential into reality, doing some of the work, and then consulting with wisdom as if it's almost like an architectural plan on a job site, consulting with the plan or the pattern, and then looking back at what he has just fashioned, seeing the correspondence between what he has created and what wisdom is, and then celebrating the fact that they line up. You ever built Ikea? <laughs> you ever gotten a little bit lost in the process and then you look back at the, and you're like, okay, I think I'm on the right track, right? It's a little something like that. So God is creating and then consulting with wisdom and then celebrating the correspondence between what he has created and what wisdom says. It's a little bit like an architectural plan that God is leaning on. So hang with me for a moment. For just a second, we're going to talk about architecture. Had a roommate a few years ago named Dave. Dave was doing his master's degree in architecture at Notre Dame, and he and I were hanging out at Eddy Street Commons just after it was completed. And he been to Eddy Street Commons, right? And so uh, Dave is sharing the things that he's learned, and he's commenting on the the architectural decisions that were made at Eddy Street and the kind of style that was used there, and some new urbanism as sort of the school of thought that shaped the architecture at Eddy Street. And then Dave begins to tell me about an architectural concept called party. Let me put this on the screen for you. Uh, try saying that. Party. Yeah, not party. No, party. It's a French word. It literally means to decide. But Dave says every good project in the world, everything built that's built well, started with an architectural party, meaning the architect decided on an overall sort of programmatic vision for what this space should look like and feel like, for how it should feel when you move through its rooms as a person, for how it should feel when you approach its facade. So an architect is going to land on a party, and then he's going to create with that party in, in front of him. And Dave says, you can always tell the difference between a building that has a strong party, a weak party, or no party at all. And as he was talking to me, I was tracking with him, and I thought, I actually grew up spending a lot of time in buildings that had no party at all, or really, really weak parties. And I'm referring, of course, to the church buildings that I grew up spending time in. Because I grew up in a bunch of, uh, like, very, very, like, typical American church buildings with beautiful, faithful communities who, over the decades, slowly built their buildings and added on here and added on there. And what it meant is that, for example, the church that we were going to when I was in middle school was one of those buildings that was built, like, 100 years ago and then 50 years ago and then 20 years ago and then 10 years ago. And none of the pieces really fit together, but they just kind of smashed them together, right? 
And one day we're hanging out there, and it's the middle school kids who's, uh, who in our group include the daughter of one of the pastors who gave us the keys to the building in the middle of the night, which seemed like a very bad idea. <laughs> but just us kids are hanging out in the building, and we're playing a game called sardines. Anybody know sardines? It's like hide-and-seek, but it's a little more sophisticated. Uh, we'll teach you it later, perhaps. We'll have a big church-wide game. <laughs> what if we did it in all of Studebaker? I just had that idea, like in all of it. I'm not promising anything. Um, so we're playing sardines in the building, and all I remember is that at one point I'm hiding somewhere in the building, and our friend who we'll call Becky, because that's her name, <laughs> I hear Becky screaming, and I can tell from the sound of her footsteps that she's running through the building. I think she's being chased by whoever's it and whatever, however that, that goes in the game called sardines, right? So Becky's running through the building. I'm hiding. I hear her screaming. Remember, this building has no partie. It's just like smashed together with different eras of design. And Becky's running, and she gets to the top of a flight of stairs, and she jumps because she wants to get to the bottom as quickly as possible. But this is one of the places in the building where one phase of construction met another phase, which means the stairs come like this, and the ceiling comes like this, and that's cinder block. And she leaps and she strikes her forehead with all of the force on the corner of the cinder block and falls to the ground in a heap and starts screaming. And we all run out and find her. Do you have any idea how much a scalp wound bleeds? So the middle school kids are in the church with the lights off with no adults and Becky's on the ground and blood is gushing out of her forehead and everybody is screaming. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, this is what happens when you don't have a strong party. <laughs> No, I, I was probably the one screaming at the, at the highest frequency, right? <laughs> I raise this because far too many of us have bumped into the hard edges of a world that does not live up to the pattern and that has not been built according to the way that things really ought to be. Far too many of us have bumped into those hard edges and been hurt by them, and we've seen the violence come against the people that we love. And that's what happens when you live in a world that isn't built up to its potential. That's what, you, that's what you have in a world that's built by consumers and destroyers rather than creators. That's what you have in a world where God says, I'm actually leaving it to you in certain profoundly important ways. I'm leaving it to you to build this world. And if you do not build well, you will create a world that will leave people wounded. So to, to realize that like, the calling on us is, is to get our hands on the raw materials and make beautiful things is not just some artistic fantasy. It's to realize that the stakes are high and the building that we do matters. Now, we're talking about architecture and vision and wisdom. And when the scriptures talk about wisdom, they don't just mean some trite little rules for everyday life. They don't just mean, like, how to not get into debt, although I'm a big believer in that. And they don't just mean, like, like those little sentences from Proverbs that feel kind of trite. When the, when the scriptures talk about wisdom, they're talking about a deep and pre-existing pattern which, when built upon, leads to greater and greater flourishing in the world, and when not built upon, leads to greater and greater suffering in the world. When the scriptures talk about wisdom, they're talking about something cosmic and eternal, and it seems that God was almost like referring to wisdom and drawing from it when he began to set things in motion in this world. And the more that you and I learn to live by that pattern, to draw from the energy of it and, and the witness of it and the example of it, we might find ourselves also building a world where people can flourish and life can flourish, where the story can get an upgrade, right? So uh, here's the thing, though. Um, wisdom keeps showing up. 
So uh, I want to give you a backdrop scripture and then take it to a thing that Jesus says, because there's a thing that Jesus is doing and that the scriptures are doing with Jesus that you can totally miss if you don't have some of this uh, intertestamental Jewish background here. So wisdom spoke in Proverbs 8, right? And said, I, I was there when God created, delighting in the fact that the things that God put together are the way that they were supposed to be, right? Well, wisdom speaks in a book that's not in most Protestant Bibles, but it's in a lot of Catholic Bibles, or all of them, I suppose, and it's Sirach. And don't worry about why it's in some and not the other today. But just, just know this. A Jew in the first century knows the text that I'm about to share with you. This is familiar territory for a Jew in the first century. And in Sirach, wisdom speaks. Listen to the way that wisdom speaks. Wisdom says, come to me, all that you that need instruction, and learn in my school. Why do you admit that you are ignorant and do nothing about it? Here is what I say. It costs nothing to be wise. Put on the yoke and be willing to learn. So that's wisdom speaking in Sirach 51. And remember, wisdom is the creative vision and energy that God seems to have leaned on when God began doing all of God's creating, right? Then listen to the way that Jesus speaks in Matthew 11 and see if it rings a bell. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does Jesus sound like? Wisdom. That's not accidental. That's not accidental in, in the mouth of Jesus. It's not accidental in the writing that Matthew does in his gospel. Jesus is saying, Matthew is saying that, that Jesus is that wisdom wrapped up in flesh and blood, that that pre-existing pattern upon which all good creating is built. That pre-existing pattern somehow showed up in flesh and blood in Jesus, which explains why you see Jesus doing wildly creative things, and I don't mean artistic. It explains to me why everywhere you see Jesus moving, the whole thing's getting an upgrade. Why? Because that very wisdom of God is, is him in flesh and blood. This is why when Jesus shows up at a wedding at Cana and he gets his hands on the water, what does it become? Wine. Water's good. Wine, very good, in my humble opinion. <laughs> it gets an upgrade, right? What happens when Jesus gets his hands on the people around him and their bodies are broken? They get healed. The thing gets an upgrade, right? What happens when Jesus gets his hands on the cultural artifacts of his religious tradition, like the Torah? The Torah is, is, a, is a cultural gift that God has given the Jewish people. And Jesus walks around saying things like, hey, you know back there in the Torah when God said do not murder? Let me give it an upgrade. Don't hate. He gets his hands on it. He fashions it into something even better, right? And even when he gets his hands on something like the Passover meal, which is a sacred ritualized meal for these people to remember what God had done for them in the past. He gets his hands on the Passover meal, and he takes a, a meal that belonged to a certain tribe in the world from a particularized moment in their unique history, and he turns it into a meal for everyone and says that this Passover is now becoming Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper. That's, that's, that's how we get communion or Eucharist, right? Jesus is there in what there's some debates over whether it's literally a Passover meal. Don't worry about that. But he's there in the Gospels having a Passover meal with his disciples, and he takes, he takes the raw materials of their own cultural heritage, their own religious heritage, and he somehow, somehow with his insight and the power of that creative life within him, knows how to take that meal and to turn it into something that will become a Eucharistic meal that will meet beggars and sinners and saints all over the world for 2,000 years. By the way, next week uh, is communion for our church. Come be at the Eucharistic table with us next week. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's getting his hands on raw materials and giving them an upgrade. And I say this because if you find yourself with your hands on the raw materials and you don't have the energy or the vision to do anything but consume or destroy, 
That might be the moment where Jesus wants to meet you, where the Spirit of Christ wants to help you. That might be a moment to call out and ask for the help of God that arrived in Christ to lead you back into your calling, to help you know who you are and what you are here for. Because you are also here to get your hands on the raw materials and give the thing an upgrade, make it beautiful. Whether the raw materials are your nine to five or the people in your life or the the physical things, the matter that you get your hands on, we're here to give it an upgrade. And the wisdom of God, the very pattern upon which all good creation is built, arrived in flesh and blood and said, come to me. I want to teach you how to live up to who you are, how to do the good work that you're here for. Or um, as Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our very way of life. We are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We may not believe it every day, but we are more than consumers. We are here for so much more than that. We are more than consumers, and we are more than destroyers. Maybe you feel like the things that you've gotten your hands on have mostly been broken down by the time you were done with them. I've been there. But it's not the truest version of who you are or what you're here for. We are more than consumers. We are more than destroyers. We are here to create. And by that, I don't mean you have to be artsy. I mean, like, what do you have your hands on that's waiting for an upgrade? By the way, this is why um, churches uh, often prioritize art, I think. Not because you all have to be artsy. But art tends to be one of those sacraments in the midst of a community like this that reminds us of the potential of, this, of the sacred beauty of getting our hands on raw materials and fashioning something of them, right? I mean, whether it's um, the wood that became a guitar or everyday English language that became a poem or a lyric or vocal cords that became a melody, um, Art isn't here so that we all sit back and think, oh, isn't that great? There's a few artists in the church. Art's here to remind us of what's true of all of us, right? So uh, I'm, like, super grateful to John and Eric for being here tonight. And uh, we have an opportunity to uh, listen and be inspired and perhaps sing along a little more. And so uh, Eric's back. Why don't you guys say welcome again? So I have this group called Young Oceans, and um, we've been working out of New York for a while now. I just moved out of New York recently. I was there for about a decade. And so um, a record that we have out there, it was our last full-length record that we worked on, is called Suddenly. The subtitle is The Nuclear Sunburst of the Truth Revealed. And it's actually a mass. If you look closely, each song represents different pieces of a, of a Catholic or an Anglican mass. And it pretty much... Um, dominated my life for about two years working on it, and we're really proud of it. But the title track is one I'm going to share with you now, and um, that phrase comes from a book uh, by an amazing author named Os Guinness, who wrote a book called The Call. But the, the phrase, the nuclear sunburst of the truth revealed, is, 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 is this phrase that Os has in this, in this book, when he's referring to Moses on the mountain with God, and the moment when God says to Moses, I am who I am. And I'm not a biblical scholar, but I think that that was a, that was a nuclear moment in, in the mind of man, that that was God's response. 
it seems so much of our journey is working that out, wrestling with this creator that we can't see. There's something about that that he's okay with, this wrestling. He's okay with this dance. Some people call it a romance, although sometimes it feels more like a fight. So this song is about that, and it asks some hard questions, but I think God is okay with those hard questions. You're the light inside the sun You're the bullet in the gun Are you here far above? Are you cruel or are you love? Are you the fever or the drought? Are you the battle or the blood? Are you the damage when it's done? finished or just begun Suddenly I'm waiting Suddenly I'm scared Did you ever mean to haunt me? Cause it's too much now to bear
Thank you, man. That's amazing. Thank you again so much for having us. It's been such an awesome opportunity to be here. I've been up here a handful of times and always enjoy myself. And uh, in particular, you know, uh, Dan and Jay, this church, uh, good people, and uh, have heard so many great things and was so excited about the opportunity to be here with you all. So thank you. This, this is a song called Dear Hate. Dear Hayes, I saw you on the news today. Like a shark, you take my breath away. You fall like rain, cover us in drops of pain. And I'm afraid that we just might drown. Dear Well, you sure are colorblind. Your kiss is the coolest kind. You could poison any mind, just look at mine. Don't know how this world keeps spinning round and round. You were there in the garden like a snake in the grass. I see you in the morning staring through the looking glass. You whispered down through history and echoed through these halls. But I hate to tell you love's gonna conquer all. Dear hate, you were smiling from that Selma bridge. And in Dallas, when that bullet hit and Jackie cried, you pulled those towers from the sky. But even on our darkest night, the world keeps spinning around. You were there in the garden Like a snake in the grass I see you in the morning Staring through the looking glass You whispered down through history And echoed through these halls But I hate to tell you Love's gonna conquer all Dear love, just when I think you've given up, you were there. 
these halls and tell me love's gonna conquer all, gonna conquer all. Thank you. God bless y'all. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, will you stand with us? We're just going to close with a little bit of a song we learned. Just a way to close our night. Let's sing together. Do the one we did earlier. Um this wild earth, this is our sending song for tonight. As we rise from our knees, where soil and sky meet, oh, peace. to receive every branch of this tree peace Lord come as the light Lord come as the dark just let there be light light from above every soul So uh, uh, thanks again to these guys. Uh, I'm going to uh, send us out of here in just a minute. 
get, get all the merch they have. Just don't let them leave with anything left. And then get over to the Lobber. I haven't mentioned this uh, yet tonight, but we, we have an after party tonight at the Lobber in the East Bank. Everyone's welcome. We'd love to see you there. There's food, drink, there's patio games. I think the rain has passed. And we would love to uh, keep the community going tonight. So we'll see you at the Lobber in the East Bank. Uh, a reminder, too, that baptism is coming. And that if baptism is anything, it's for people who trust that all of that creative wisdom of God has been poured into Jesus, that you might be led into what you are here for, which is to get your hands on the raw materials and make something beautiful of it. Uh, Leslie and Jen, I think, have some cards on baptism, just to remind you of the details for October 10th and 13th, if you want to snag one of these. We'll talk about that every week between now and then. Uh, so may you know that you are here for more than consuming and destroying. May you sense the deep, sacred worth of your life, the energies that you've been given and what they are here for. May you make something beautiful out of the raw materials. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.